very interesting, all this talk of revival this morning. I, 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 I was over there while we were singing um, before anybody brought anything, and I, I, I suddenly, in my mind, could see a whirlwind. Uh, but it was a huge tornado, really. It wasn't just a whirlwind, like a tornado. And you know what a tornado is like if you've ever seen it on the telly? These things fly around in it, you know, cars and buses and trees, and, you know, they're all just caught up. And I could see this tornado, and I think, what on earth is that? And, and I thought it was my imagination. And then, then I saw the tornado. I thought, what are we supposed to do with that? And then, then I had a picture of a beautiful pastoral tranquil scene, you know, with a little river and cows in the field, sunny day, laid back in the grass. That appeals, doesn't it? You know that sort of day you long for? No? We, we all like those, don't we? Just, oh, it's great. And I, I, I then felt God say, tell them I'm, I'm, I'm coming to mess them up. Oh, that's, that's not very encouraging. And I felt God say, well, you've got some choices to make in the next little while. Because revival's coming, and I'm coming, and I'm coming like, just interesting, that I, 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 just like revival's coming, and it's coming like a tornado. It's not gentle. It's not like a pastoral scene. And God says, you've got two options. You can run into the purposes of God, which is running into a tornado. Or you can run from the purposes of God and lay in a field. And God says, well, how's your faith? Because a whirlwind messes everything up. If you see the course of a world it goes through and what's left, you look and think, my goodness, destroyed everything, totally turned upside down. God says, I, start and say, I'm, I'm going to come to this nation. I'm going to come to Teesside. And, and it's not that far away. Are we, are we willing to run into it? Um, one of the most Im, important things, actually, Andy and Fiona are here. Welcome. You've joined, now joined us. This is your first Sunday. It's great to have people joining us all the time. You get to know them. But Andy sent me a, a, a thing about fields uh, and a, a harvest uh, a while ago, and I mentioned it before, but I, I, he was looking at the barn at the combine harvester when the rain's pouring, and they're working on the combine harvester, getting ready to harvest fields, and he was thinking, well, that's funny, it, you can't harvest in this, and then he walked past and saw a field, and even though it was pouring and rain, it had been pouring and rain, and the field was still white under harvest and ready, and, and it was like God said, prepare, the big word was prepare for a big harvest time. And actually, that's, that's the word we had this morning about preparing, preparing. It, God tells us these things so we can say, yes, we're going to prepare for harvest. So every community group leader, how are you going to prepare for growth? How are you going to structure it to prepare for growth? Whatever we're doing, impact, every area of church life, pastoral ministry, everything, I'm looking at all those. We've got to put structures in place. We want to prepare for growth. Now, whatever we prepare for, when a whirlwind comes, when a tornado comes, it just messes it up anyway. But God is telling us to prepare. Let's prepare as a local church, but also prepare personally, prepare in our family life. Very, very important. Don't think you can just casually go along and think, oh, if it comes, it'll be nice. We have to pursue God, ask God, prepare our hearts, be very diligent. And hence my, my preach this morning, I've called it looking forward. And to, to be honest, originally when I had this in mind, If you want to know where Jean is, by the way, she's got sinusitis and not very well, and in bed, and I've lost my mind for the morning, which is always a problem. 
I was going to do a looking forward sort of preach with lots of vision and, you know, dream some dreams and, and all of that's there. God's speaking to me about so much, it's scary. But I felt, I just felt God point me in another direction completely. And it's still looking forward. Next Sunday, we actually start working through the book of James. We're going to, between now and Christmas, we're going to work through the book of James. But coming from this excellent North weekend where there was great teaching, great vision, great miracles, great God, what do we do with that encouragement? What do we do with these prophetic words? How do we position ourselves as we look forward for all God has for us? Are we up for the future in God? I mean, you have to decide that. Are we we up for all God has for us, or do we want status quo? You know, do we want the pastoral scene where I don't rock it too much, God, I like a quiet life? Or are we up for God doing something radical? Yeah? Good. Are we up for personal change and transformation and jubilee change and transformation? Good. That's a good sign. Are we up for growth? I don't, I mean, personal growth, but of a different nature. Funny enough, uh, funny enough, I, I don't want to tell you this, but I, I, to be honest, I need to. I felt God challenged me about preparing for revival, about personally getting fitter. And exercise and I don't agree. Yeah, it's just, there's nothing about it ever I enjoy. Do, you know, people say, oh, it's great. I think, no, it's not been my experience as it shows. However, I just need to tell you, to be honest, in personal preparation, part of the preparation is preparing ourselves physically for a move of God, of the demands it'll make and all sorts of things. So I I share that with you, just to be honest. However, if we're going to see all that God has for Jubilee fulfilled over the next 10 years, the next 20 years, 30 years, even 50 years, it will require real diligence. See, often we have a short-term view of church. Oh, we've been here, what, 14 years, something like that? 13, 14 years? Hallelujah. Yeah, but God wants this church to be here growing and vital in 50 years, 100 years. Keep going and keep going and keep going until the day he comes again. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. And so we need a long-term view. I had the joy of leading Brickhill uh, Baptist Church in Bedford before I came here, and I, I led it from 1996 through to I came here. And that church had a history that went all the way back to John Bunyan. It was all written down. And, and it, it goes right back. You've got the stories that he had and how the churches split off and some of them fell out. But what you've got is all these churches scattered across Bedford with a long history in God. And you, what you see is the faithfulness of God in the good times and the bad times. And if we're going to be all that God has for us, we've got to lay a foundation for the future that other people can build on. You know, that's the important thing. You know, I, I'm aware at 63, and I'm thinking, I'm really, I'm really young at heart. I, I, I feel younger inside than I've ever, in, emotionally, I mean, not physically. And, and I, I'm, I'm really excited about that, but everything in me, and everything we saw at the Olympics, do you remember the opening ceremony or the original, when they, they handed over the, the torches to younger people who then ignited lots of individual flames? That was a big prophetic thing for me. Then, then that's, that's my job, but that's all our jobs for the future. To build in such a way that the thing multiplies and multiplies, and we lay a foundation for other people to stand on, well laid, well built, 
Good. Do, do, do I mean not? See, the problem often what we do with church, we have a leader and he's here for a while and then he decides to retire or die or go somewhere else. I can't help that one. That's between you, me and, you and God or me and God. That, that's another one. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not planning to retire anytime soon, really. Uh, although I, I promise you I will not be leading it when I'm 80. And you're all thinking, I wish he'd go away. I, I promise I won't be doing that. But we are looking over the next... I'll talk a little bit more about it tonight. We're looking over the next X years of building an infrastructure that allows continuity of, of ministry. You see, what happens is you get a leader and he says, oh, he's leaving now. And then, we, oh, we've got to find somebody else. And so the church lurches and then, oh, we found another leader now. And the leader goes, oh, we'll go this way. And so they go, oh, that's nice. And then, then after a few years, oh, it's now time for a change. Oh, we'll go this way now. And you see the history of church flip-flopping in all sorts of directions throughout history. That's not what God has for his church. It's not about that. It's about building a foundation that is of continuity in the purposes of God that lasts for generations. If we're going to see Teesside transformed with the gospel, it will be an ongoing work of the gospel for years and years, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. One of the prophetic words that brought me here was what you do in the next few years will have effect for centuries to come. I can't do much about the centuries. I can only deal with the now. So, so what, what we have to do is say, no, we are going to build now, and we're going to build right. Okay? We're going to build well. We're going to be diligent. And, and we have to let, prepare in every area, financially, ministry gifts, training, equipping, buildings, all the different things, vision, purpose. We need to hear God. We need to pray. Oh, we so need to pray, because the only way we'll see it established is to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and then pray and pray and pray. It's the only way. There's no, there's no magic formula. A couple of weeks ago, I went to, uh, up to Glasgow to Andy Merrick's church. It was, to be honest, it's a long way to go and preach a sermon there and back in a day. It's 200 miles each way. And uh, Gene drove. See, I've lost my mind there. It's a problem. Um, but, but it was fine. But, you know, you're up at quarter past five in the morning, leave at half six, go up, preach a sermon, have, have a meal, leave at half four, and get back about eight o'clock to preach a sermon for 15 minutes. Seems that, I'm sure there's a better way of doing these things, but, which I'm going to have to learn. But, but what I went for, Andy asked if I'd go and tell him the story about our giving money away. You know, we took our gift, we, we had our gift day, and we gave, we every penny of it we've given away. And now God's blessed us financially. And so I went up to talk about a generous people and a generous God. And I was, I was telling them the story, how we prayed and prayed and been obedient. And I told the story of what happened in Milton Keynes from 1977 and the church there and how God provided for us. And then how God blessed us at Brickhill and how the giving went up from something like 250,000 to 800,000 pounds a year. Uh, at one point, uh, we had eight people. For, and, and, but the principles, okay, there are principles of giving, and there are princi- biblical principles you just build on and apply. But one of the things I said to them, and I, I'd say this, we often look at other churches and see them growing and think, what do they do? If we do it, we'll grow too. It doesn't necessarily work that way. Because God doesn't operate to formula. God operates with faith. So we don't need to think, oh, we've got a new formula now. If we do this, 
everything's going to work. No, no. We have to hear God. We have to personally hear God. We have to personally pray so that we know together we've heard God. We're doing what God said to us. That's how God wants to speak to every local church. And as we do that, this church will grow. This church will flourish. This church will get bigger and bigger. We'll plant out more churches. We may even go multi-site one day. Had this odd conversation with Jeremy. It was a throwaway comment. He said, oh, perhaps you should have planted in, in Redcar. And I thought, oh, Lord. The, the problem with Redcar is there's, there's two ladies coming to, to sparklers from Redcar to a toddler's group. And they said to, to, to Alison things like, do you guys do anything in Redcar? Oh, do you think that could be just a clue that there's open doors everywhere we look? Now, I'm not saying God's saying that. All I'm saying is, as we start to grow, as we start to lay foundations, as we start to build, and you guys work in red car, as we start to build, that's not a word from God to, you know, right. What, what, what I'm saying is you, you get this adventure of working with God, cooperating with God, hearing and doing what he says, and so the thing gets built on a solid foundation. It's not a whim, but it's precept upon precept, faith upon faith, praying and praying and pray. That's, that's who we are. That's looking forward. That's what we're about. I haven't really got started on my sermon yet, sorry. Um, but you got the feel of it. It's the only sort of church I want to lead, and it'll be the sort of church that runs headlong, headlong into the tornado. Are we up for that? So, to see all that God has for us will require diligence, hard work, sacrifice, and a greater pressing into God than we've thus far experienced. Oh. Am I being negative? No. Not for a second. But I do feel prompted by God to bring a reality check. You know, we can, we can get caught up on, oh, it's wonderful. Oh, isn't it great? Everybody loves me. Good things are happening. People are coming to... Here, there, and everywhere, people are joining us. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. The reality check is this. It won't always be wonderful. Sometimes it'll be wonderful. Sometimes it'll be really hard work. Sometimes we'll get blessing upon blessing upon blessing personally into our families, and sometimes we'll be like walking through treacle, thinking, what is going on? And we have to have a re reality check. Otherwise, you can build a church upon a puff and bluster, upon a fanciest dream, upon the greatest idea. One of the things I've felt for years, we can prophesy up a storm. We can prophesy up a whirlwind. But the reality is what, what we produce is often a little... <laughs> because our talk is bigger than the reality all the time. Have you experienced that? Rah, 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 come on. And we're all going, yes, yes, yes. But the reality isn't there. I don't want a church like that. I want us to be a people who are personally pressing into God, personally growing, personally proving Him, and saying, wow, this is God. This is awesome. That's what we're about, and that's what my sermon's about. So let's have a look at Philippians 3. See if I can get through this. It's a bit long, really. Uh, 10 to 21. Very, very well known. The Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians. He said, I want to know Christ. It should be up there. Yeah, it is. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I've already obtained all of this or already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with, many te- with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, verses 12 to 14 of that reading is what we normally focus on. But let me read them to you again. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. That's great. We're going to look at that in a moment. But as I began to prepare, I I felt God say, no, I need need first to talk to you about verse 10. It says this, Paul's crying out, I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul here is talking about his motivation. This is what motivates his ministry. Doesn't he already know Christ? Well, of course he does. He had this incredible Damascus Road experience where where he encounters Jesus and, and he's transformed forever, yet he's not satisfied. There is more of Christ to know. There was for Paul, and there's more for us. My prayer is this. Don't be satisfied with what you know about Jesus. There's more yet. There's more yet. So Paul kind of draws us into, he kind of sucks us into this cry from his heart. I want to know Christ, he says, and the power of his resurrection. Wow really living out this new life that Jesus won for me as he rose from the dead, living as the new creations that we are. But the Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in every child of God. Is it working us? I want to know Christ and the power, that power that raised him from the dead. I want to live in the good of that. I want that to be my experience. I want to push through. I want to press on. I want to live that victorious Christian life. I want to live as a new creation. Don't you? It's what, that's what we're saved for. How are we doing, all right? Paul goes on. I want to know Christ and the power of resurrect, his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Oh, what's that about? It's like he's sucking us in even further now, and we're a bit confused. But 
Paul's love and hunger for Jesus is drawing him ever deeper. Greater commitment, greater commitment in his relationship. Lord, I, I want to have fellowship with you to be able to give my life for your purposes, to be able to share even in your sufferings. That's the, that is heart cry. Whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes. How are we doing? Whatever it takes, whatever the cost. How many of you? I could make an appeal right now, and you, loads of you would stand up and say, yeah, we're there. A reality check is, really? You see, us preachers can preach a sermon, and everybody will go, oh, yeah. But it's tomorrow that it counts. It's tomorrow that it counts. But you say, I want to know Christ. He knows Christ. The more he knows of Christ, he says, oh, I want to know more of this power that works in me because it's drawing me ever deeper into you. Oh, wow. But, oh, God, I want to share. If it costs suffering, I want to give myself to this because he knows Christ, not because it's a duty, not because he's suddenly got a list of suffering tasks to do, but because he loves Jesus. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, even death itself, I do it for you, Jesus. I do it for you. How's your motivation today? Pretty good? All right. Do you feel the challenge? Hope you do. I certainly do. It's interesting, actually, we start James's letter next week, and we'll find as we start it, he starts with the whole issue of suffering. Things going pear-shaped. And he says things like, consider it pure joy when you suffer trials of many kinds. Raj is doing that next week. He'll enjoy it. He's been talking about it this week, yeah. See, this is the reality check of the Christian life. It isn't just happy days, glory, isn't it lovely? No, to follow Jesus, to know him, to have fellowship with him, to know his power at work in me, to know whatever it takes, I will follow him, even if I have to suffer. And then he goes on. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now maybe there's such a spiritual gift as, called, you know, as, as martyrdom. Anybody got that one? I did a, a spiritual gift questionnaire with, with people a group of people many years ago, and one of the, the things you could come out with was martyrdom, and believe it or not, a lady came out with martyrdom, and I said, she said, I would love to give my life for Jesus. It's, 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 Paul said, I want to become like you in your death. I, I want to give my life, I want to suffer, whatever it takes. And actually what happened, he was, he became a martyr. Does that mean we should all do that? No, but actually, you know what? To give your life for Jesus. To, for, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. I cannot lose. To be so in love with him that whatever it takes, you have first place. Whatever it means, you will have my life, whether I live it or die. That's my life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. However, there's lots more I could say about that, but I want to say, what I want to do is read to you from Luke 9, verses 22 to 24. 
As Jesus says this, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. We are called as servants of Jesus to take up our cross daily and follow him whatever the cost. This is the life that Jesus won for us, a life where sin is defeated, a life of joy as a child of God, a life of victory in our attitudes and behavior, a life of glad service and sacrifice, whatever the cost, a life lived for the glory of God 24-7, where seeking first the kingdom is like the air we breathe. See, what my, my question is, what's the default position in your life? What does Jesus want? Is that the first thing? Every situation, what does Jesus want? Is it like, oh, I want all of this, and if I can't have this, I'd better pray. And if I pray for a bit, oh, Lord, do you really want that? You know that wonderful, that wonderful phrase, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover, cover the sea. You know that? Yeah? Simon will tell me where it is in a minute. Is it? I can't remember where it is. Can you remember where it is? It's in the Old Testament anyway. And anybody remember where it is? Is it Habakkuk? Yeah, I thought it was Habakkuk. Yeah, I can't quote it, but it's Habakkuk. And there was some prophetic about that, if you remember. I think it was Dave Fellingham, if I remember, talked about that when he brought the warnings. Or was it Andy? It might have been Andy, actually. God's plan is that the earth is filled with his glory. 24-7. How's the earth going to be filled with the glory of God when, when we live for the glory of God 24-7? We bring his glory wherever we go. Wherever we go. This is a life to live. And I don't want to beat you up with it, but it's a life to live of joy and freedom and purpose, and it's glorious. It's fantastic. Is that a challenge? Of course it is. But as we press more and more into Jesus, it is possible to live this way. You see, there will be a day when Jesus comes again, and we too will have new glorified bodies. We will be raised with him physically. And that day, just imagine. Right, well, no, don't imagine, but you know what I mean. That, that day, glorified bodies, perfect. But until that time, where I want to know Christ. I want to know his power at work in me. I want, to, I want to learn to serve him wholeheartedly. I want his kingdom to be pursuing it, his kingdom to be like the, the air we breathe, the air I breathe, everything I do, all the values I make, all the way I spend my money, all the way I plan my holidays, all the way I buy my cars or whatever it is. And it's a challenge, isn't it? But actually what you come to is, Lord, I want to do this for your glory. I want to live in such a way that you are glorified in every decision I make, every thought I have, all the entertainment I have. I want you to be glorified in the language I use. I want you to be glorified in the places I go. Living for Jesus 24-7. So Paul cries out. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I, I press on. I, I want to grab hold of all of this. 
You see, every one of us this morning who are born again have been grabbed hold of by Jesus for purpose. Do you know that? He chose you. You didn't choose him. If you're a Christian here today, God reached out for you. He said, I want you. I have purpose for you. There's reason for this. Do you want it? Do you like to know what it is? I want to know. I want to grab hold of that for which you grabbed hold of me. That's increasingly over the years been my desire. I can't think of anything else to live for. I can't think of anything else to live for except to live for that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Because then I will be fulfilled and then I will be, in every sense, fruitful for his glory. And on the inside, I'll be totally at peace. Press on. So each of us who are born again this morning have been taken hold of by Jesus. He took hold of you and I so that we could know and enjoy the privilege of being a child of God the Father. I'm a child of God. To them he gave the right to be called the children of God and that is what we are, Paul says. I'm a child of God now. That's your identity. I belong to God the Father. Wow. Got hold of you for that. Got hold of me for that. That kind of makes us family, doesn't it? Best get on then. He took hold of you and I so that we could know him more and more and enjoy the life he won for us. There's more. It's the adventure. You can sit down with your Bible every day and you go, oh, wow. People say, oh, I've got to do my quiet time. Oh, I'm not very good at prayer. Please, don't bother then. It's like a bit of discipline's good, but if it's, if it's such a burden, God just says, well, don't bother. Because I didn't take hold of you to be miserable. I took hold of you because there's an adventure in me. So you grab your Bible and you go, hey, God, I haven't got a clue, but you got hold of me for purpose. Could you help me here? I've done that, and I've no idea. Have you ever done that? Come on, be honest. Or am I the only person who goes, well, no idea, really? Don't you do that? Leviticus. Oh, still no idea. You know, I've, done, I've had times I'm sitting with God, I'm saying, oh, God, and then I get this thing in my head. Turn to page 93. What? And then you're stuck with it, because you either do or you don't, and you think you've imagined it. Do you ever do that? Turn to page 93. Go and hang yourself. <laughs> or something equivalent. And you think, oh. but you know what? In that adventure, in that wrestling through with God, in, in saying, well, God, I don't know. But talk to God like that. Don't just do it because I'm supposed to do it and that's my reading. Talk to God. Build a relationship. Wrestle it out. Find out, you know what? He will speak to you. Because if you approach it with faith, he will speak to you. He does. It's wonderful. Now the Bible is to be studied in many different ways, and it's good to study it in depth and understand the breadth of it. But we are children, and he's our dad, and he's given us a book. Do you think he minds if we get it wrong or we use it incorrectly? Not too much, because he's my dad. He wants to talk to me, and he will love. God will live at, and operate at the level of our faith. He will. And we get, we say, oh, it's not, it's not appropriate to do it that way. And God says, oh, shut up. 
Now, do we want to live at that level forever? No, but God will start there, and then he will take us on, and he will teach us better things and open it up for us in a different way. But we are children of God, and our dad wants us to have a relationship with him. And so let your pursuit of God, your quiet time, or whatever you like to call it, noisy time, walking with him time, haven't a clue time, I don't really care, but spend some time pursuing God, because that's what he... He took hold of us for that. He took hold of us so that we could enjoy being filled with the Holy Spirit every day, knowing his presence and touch. And again, it's a bit like that. Do you think, God, I don't really know where you are today. Do you ever ever those days? Do you ever sit there thinking, well, I don't know. Or am I the only person like that? No, I know doctrine. I'm filled with the Spirit. But I'm talking about touchy-feely stuff. Do, do Do you have days when you feel nothing? I do. Lots of them. So what do I do? I'll just sit for a minute and say, hey, God, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm not doing so well. Now, could, could you just feel me? And, and you know what? There's, there's times when you just suddenly find a peace comes upon you. And then you get a little nudge and he'll say, pray in tongues. And you sort of, and he'll say, don't mumble. Do you, do you ever get, God says that, stop mumbling. He said, I can't hear you. He said, well, it's in my head. No, no, I don't want it in your head. I want it out your mouth. Because to speak comes out your mouth, not in your head. Have you, have you ever? See, people say, oh, I speak in tongues all the time. Well, I haven't heard you. Because speaking in tongues comes out our mouth. It's a language. And you know what? It's a heavenly language. It's a language to edify us. And as we learn to speak in tongues. So if you feel nothing, you can still speak in tongues. So sit down and do it. And perhaps do it till you feel something. When I first got released in tongues, I, I started getting up. I, I couldn't, I'm hopeless at getting up in the morning, uh, but I managed to get up at 5 o'clock every morning and have an hour with God. Purely all of His grace, I assure you. But I learned to... Somebody said, go and practice tongues. So I thought, oh, I better practice it. And so out loud, started praying in tongues. I was praying 40 minutes out loud every day. Well, six days out of seven usually, right? Every day. That I was, and I got to the point where it would come in rhyme and it would come in verse. And I hadn't got a clue what was going on. But did I feel better? Absolutely. Because it's a gift of God that edifies my soul. It does something on the inside of me that makes me feel better. And people say, oh, I don't feel very good. And I say, can you speak in tongues? Well, yes. Do you? Not really. Well, whose fault is it then? <coughs> it is a gift. You don't use it. God, I want to feel better. Well, speak in tongues. You see, God cares how we feel. God cares about our daily life and our minute-by-minute journey. And there's a, there's a whole life there for us. And we have the ability to press into it. We have the ability. We can make the choice. But please don't mumble. God took hold of us so that we, so that we could give ourselves to serving his purposes in our day. Playing our part and seeing Teesside transformed with the gospel. Keep talking about this song. I want to serve the purposes of God in my generation. I want to give my life to something that lasts forever. Lord, I delight. Do you remember it? Remember it, Andy? It's time to learn it again. Something about singing as a people, about a purpose. We are your people. 
called by your name. We're here to see Teesside transformed. Who wants to write a song about seeing Teesside transformed by the people of God? Go for it. Right? The, the, the point I'm making is this. To be a people, to identify, we are called to purpose for our time, in our day, in this place. Wow. Isn't that great? Don't you think? Called to purpose to be part of the people who see Teesside transformed by the gospel. Wow. That's one of the reasons he got hold of you and I. You look totally demotivated by that, some of you. <laughs> he took hold of you and I so that we could give ourselves to reaching out to the ends of the earth with the gospel of the kingdom. God is speaking to me so much about all sorts of things these days. I can't cope with it, if I'm honest with you. I don't feel as though I can. Africa, all sorts of stuff. Turkey, particularly Africa. I may share a little bit about it tonight, but to the ends of the earth. When we were in the Salvation Army, and Gene's not here to help me, so I can't remember all the words, but we used to sing a song. On we march with the blood and the fire which was their flag. Blood of Jesus, fire of the Holy Spirit, okay? On we march with the blood and fire. To the ends of the earth we will go. And the mo- I can't remember, but the last line said something about our motivation being because we love him so. See, I want to know Christ. I want to press in. I want all I and personally know him. I, I, want, I want to enter into fellowship with him. I, I, I want his power at work in my life. I, I'll pay whatever cost, whatever it means. 24-7 kingdom seeker. I have a destiny to fulfill to the ends of the earth. We are a people called by his name that his glory comes to all the earth. That's why Jesus took hold of you. You feel good? Feel a bit motivated by that? Oh, God. Paul goes on, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ. This is as though Paul invites us to join him in seeking to take hold of these things and to serve God's glorious purposes in our day. And he tells us how to do it. You know what the secret? He says, forgetting what is behind. That's the secret about pressing on, forgetting what is behind. God always moves us forward. He never takes us back. He knows the end from the beginning, but we have to live it and, and enter into it by faith. Pressing on is our calling. Pressing on and not settling, even when what we have is good and God is blessing. And pressing on, even if we've blown it and somehow God seems a million miles away, we are called to press on. Paul's here, he's not talking about despising or devaluing the past, just that the past is the past. It's gone. Have you noticed that? It's gone. You can't have it back. Do you, do you ever fancy a bit of time travel? Anybody? I, I, would, I would love to be able to go back and look at the, 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 the Colosseum in Rome like it really used to be. Do, do you ever? I just love history. I, I just love to go back and, and, and see, see, see Athens like it used to be. When it was all there with all the gold and the colors. And the, that doesn't, no, I'm obviously not pressing any buttons here. But but that's just how I'm wired. But you know what? I can't. It's gone. It's finished. It's past. Here in Jubilee over the years, we've had some good times. 
Time's a very rich blessing. I praise God for that. We're experiencing real blessing right now. Prophecy about revival. It's good, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. But I guess, you know, there's been times when the going's been rather hard, hasn't it? Been a struggle. Anybody remember those? I've been here two and a half years. We've had our ups and downs a bit, but praise God for where we are. But before my time here, ups and downs, whoop, whoop, days of challenge, yes. Times of great victory and times of incredible disappointment. You know, all of that's quite normal. It's called life. Just read what the Apostle Paul and the early church experienced when you get a few minutes. You know, we talk about revival, we talk about going to the ends of the earth, but you know, you know how, how the gospel got to the ends of the earth? Because of persecution. And the early church is scattered because of persecution, and they go all over the world. It wasn't a wonderful prophetic word that took them, it was fear. <laughs> I'm scared, I'll have to go away. It's not safe here anymore. But they took their faith wherever they went. And so the church grew all over the world. Isn't it good how God works his purposes out? I love it. You see, whether the going is easy or tough, God calls, up, calls us to press on with him and live out our lives day by day for the glory of his name. So what does pressing on look like? What, is in, what does it mean in practice here in Jubilee? We need to do it without becoming foolishly triumphalistic. We can all go rah, rah, rah. Far too much hype in the church these days and not enough substance. I'm not talking about Jubilee, I'm talking about generally now. The problem with multimedia is we can book glossy, great presentations, fantastic pictures, highly motivational, and then you get on the ground and you think, my goodness me. Just how it is. Just how it is. Here's what, here's, here's what pressing on looks like. Two things, worship, and obedience. Pressing, pressing on starts with us continuing to be worshippers of God. And I don't just mean singers of songs. I mean it's about living our lives before God day by day in a way that honors him as our Lord and Savior in the tough times and the good times. I live a life of worship before my God. It's the first step of stepping on. What's the second step of stepping on? In Luke 6, 47 must be 47 to 49. I've got 19 here for some reason. But Jesus tells the story of the two men who built houses. Do you remember? One built on sand, the other on rock. What does Jesus teach us from that? He teaches that we are, we are to build our lives on rock by learning to live in obedience to his word. Not a quick fix or a fancy good idea. So pressing on means worship and obedience. Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1 verse 5 that through Jesus and for his namesake he received grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Faith that doesn't produce obedience to God is no faith at all. We're saved to live in glad obedience to him. That's where true, true freedom is found and that's what it means to be a disciple. And God gives us grace to do that. 
But sadly, our reading, Paul, in our reading, Paul says this. Many people, I believe he's talking to Christians now, who say they are Christian, actually live as enemies of the cross of Christ. See, you can come to church and sing your songs and dance, and oh, it's wonderful. It even says in Scripture that we can even prophesy in his name, and he'll say to us when he comes, I never knew you, so let's be careful with that. To live a life of obedience is a life that says yes to God. And we said, yeah, of course we want to be obedient, but in my experience, we get kind of woolly in our thinking. We start to want to do deals with God. Well, God, if you will do this, I'll do that. Ever talk to God like that? If, if you do that, I'll do that. I'll tell you what, we're not here to do deals with God. We're here to say, yes, Lord. That's the Christian life. Or we can bring our questions, we can, we can work it out with him, but don't do deals with God. That's not obedience. Okay, I'm going to finish now with four things that can hinder us pressing on. And the first one is apathy. And you know what apathy is? It's a lack of motivation. And often men seem to have a lack of motivation more than women. Women are going, yeah? <laughs> My husband, yeah? J- J- oh, yeah? Everyone's gone quiet, but they're... Not always true, but often apathy. I hear you, Paul. It's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that. Getting out of bed tomorrow morning, though. Oh, yeah, maybe. Apathy often has its root in disappointment and depression lack of personal vision, and so on. You know what the fruit of apathy is? Laziness and procrastination. How many of you have said this week, oh, I'll do that tomorrow? Anybody said that this week? Come on. Jackie hasn't because she does everything straight away. (laughs) Mike's probably said, no, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, Jackie's nodding now. Look at your behavior. Look, examine your feelings. If you're feeling lazy, and, and I, I can be the biggest slob in the world, so I identify with all of these things. But, you know, if we're going to see Teesside transformed by the gospel, laziness won't do it. Procrastination won't do it. Jesus came that we might have a, an abundant life to the full He is the answer to apathy. That's why Paul starts with, I want to know Christ. I tell you, I can cast vision all day. I can tell you wonderful things. I can talk about revival. But unless you know Christ, apathy will rule the day. You have to press into him. He's the motivation. He's the one that gets us out of bed in the morning. He's the one, even when we don't feel like it, we still do it because we love him. Got it? The answer to apathy is to press more into Jesus and to take personal responsibility for our attitude and behavior. What else can hinder us? Ongoing, unconfessed sin in our lives. God's full of grace, rich in mercy. But that does not mean that sin in our lives doesn't count. Sin will hinder our walk with God and take away our joy. And Jesus came to set us free from sin. Why would we continue in it? 
So if you know there's areas of sin in your life, you need to confess them, ask God for forgiveness, and stop it. And if you still struggle with it after that, come and have a chat with us. Come and have a chat with one of the elders. We'll see if we can help you work out stopping sinful behavior. Another thing that hinders, and this is a big one, not letting go of the past. That can hinder us too, can't it? I want to read to you. Uh, Malcolm Honeysett, he's just, he's just popped out, but he sent me a, an A4 sheet, but there's a prophetic word in it, a, a picture, and he says this. Some of you who are born of my spirit are just like shoots from the ground. Some of you are like saplings, but I want you to grow into trees, bearing fruit and supporting life. Trees prepare and grow during all seasons, the good weather and the bad weather and the storms, etc. But, you do this, but to do this, your roots must be in me and my truth and the truth about me. If you allow unforgiveness, disappointment, anger, etc. to dwell in your hearts, this will stunt your growth and you will not be what I and you want to be. Well, that's excellent. The past has a huge pull on us, but it's gone. Our hope does not depend on how things used to be. God wants us to take, take, take us on a great future with him now and into eternity. And if you've struggled with the past, if it's a bad past, you know what? You can't change it. It's gone. If you want to go back and enjoy the past, well, you can't. It's gone. And however bad it's been, Jesus is still Lord and utterly reliable. Our past does not need to hold us back. If there was sin there, then we need to ask forgiveness and then move on into all God has for us now. If there's hurt from the past, and many people have hurt from the past, well, you know what to do with it? Give it to God. Forgive from your heart and move on. Move on. Let it go. It's the only route to freedom. Every one of us who are born again can have hope for the future because Jesus promised that he will always be with us. He will never forsake us. Therefore, the past, whatever your situation, does not need to hold you back. Be free of it. And my last point is this. And this can often, in our culture, hinder us pressing on more than anything else, and it's called, it's just seeking our pleasure before God's kingdom. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, but mark this, Paul writes to Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. And Jesus said in Mark 16, and Mark and Luke also have these verses, and I read it before, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be if a man gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? What can man give in exchange for his soul? We live in a world that is pleasure-seeking. It's a world of sin, and it's so easy for us to get caught up in the pleasures of this world. 
We must have the latest thing we enjoy. And it's okay, as Dave pointed out, it's okay to take the things in the world and, and make them holy and use them for the glory of God. But the problem is there's a temptation with them and they become our God rather than our God. They become our motivation rather than pursuing God. The temptation is that we get caught up in this world's values. The temptation is that we fit Jesus into our desire for a pleasurable and satisfying lifestyle. That pursuit of pleasure and ease is thrust upon us as the norm. All the adverts on the telly, everything we do, you deserve it. That's what you're told on telly, you deserve it. No, you don't. Let's be aware that, of the temptations that exist there. And I'm going to finish by reading Matthew 6, 24 to 33. Then I'm pretty much done. But it, this is what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, but your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given as well. So as we look for, forward and press on, let's all make sure that God has first place. And I mean first place before everything else. That's a first place individually, but also he has first place in Jubilee. Absolutely first place. We will only do what he tells us to do. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. We're not going to do formula. We're not going to have flash ideas. We're going to hear God. We're going to do, his, do what he says. We're going to do what the Word says. And we are going to see revival in our day. Amen. Believe it with all my heart. And this promise is that he will provide all our need. I want to know Christ, says Paul. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's what motivated Paul to press on. Let us make it our motivation too. Are you up for that? Yes. Let's stand, shall we?